Welcome to the Marvel Evolution Show with myself, Andy Stead. And I'm Jarian Gibson. And I'm Alex Stroud. And we are being joined today by a special guest. We've got Sean Martinbro with us. How are you doing, Sean? Oh, very good, guys. Thanks for having me. This is really, really cool. You're very welcome, Sean. You're very welcome. We'll get stuck into uh, talking to you and what you're about and where you're from and all the things that you stand for very, very soon. But um, Alex, how are you? I'm doing great. Doing great. Had a good week? Yeah, it, you know, it felt like it just drug on forever, but, you know, I'm glad it's the weekend, so. <laughs> and we're here doing what we love doing. Definitely. Excellent. Jaren, how are you? Good. Yeah, not a, as busy of a week as last week, so no travel, you know, home, you know, just doing everything usual, so. Yeah, you was you was on a, a mammoth work journey last week, weren't you? Yep. Big park launch, so I'm glad that's over. <laughs> nice. Back to normality now, yeah? Sort of. <laughs> Ex excellent. Um. Yeah, so have we been up to anything interested in the Marvel world? I've been, I've started reading. Well, as you know, because after my confession last week, which caused, which caused carnage on the group, to be totally honest, carnage. Um, I, I, so for, for Sean, for your sake, and for anybody that's watching or listening, um, I confess to not having watched season three of Daredevil on Netflix, um, and it caused, it caused carnage. To be totally honest, it was chaotic. It was chaotic. Yeah. If I would have had heat vision, I would have cut you in half, probably at that point. Like, are you serious? You're right. <laughs> yeah. So, a, fr a friend of mine, a friend of mine once said, um, it was a stare that could melt cheese. <laughs> <laughs> well, should we end the interview now? Because Andy, I'm kind of with you. I did not see the first. <laughs> oh, oh, no. And, yeah, let's cut, cut, let's cut them two off and we'll just. <laughs> it just no. You know, it just, it just got away to me because I, it just hit me at a time where I was just really busy and. There just there were so many things just dropping in streaming and TV and film. I just forgot about it. I literally had to, I, I broke down and wrote a list of things I got to watch and put it in front of my television. It's, yeah, yeah so. it, it is a little bit like that, isn't it? And it's even, it's even worse now. There's so oh, much. Oh, yeah. Now. You know, you've not oh, yeah. just got one, one company doing that. You've got multiple companies over multiple different shows. But anyway, um, so, so I've, and I don't, I haven't said that. I'd already started to rewatch the Netflix stuff before I made that <laughs> statement last week. So this isn't a knee jerk reaction. I actually was already doing this. Uh, but I've, I'm, I'm through season one of Daredevil. Again, I have watched that. That's, I think it's like the third time I've watched season one of Daredevil. But it, um, it just reminds me how good that actually was. That was such a good show. It really was that first season. Um, he's, it, it reminds me of the wire, but with superheroes, <laughs> that's good. Good comparison. Yeah. It was, it was really very much like that, especially the political aspect of it as well. Um, really interesting, which got me thinking, um, uh, and I think Jaren, you've said it, haven't you, about uh, Wilson Fisk and whether we're going to go down, especially in uh, born again with daredevil, whether we're going to go down the route of um, him being mayor. Yeah. Uh, so I thought I'd pick up uh, Devil, the Devil's Rain run. So I picked up the Devil's Rain run. So I started reading the first couple of issues of that, which is I'm really enjoying because again, that's got all the things that I really like about a story. You know, that's sort of a little bit of political um, uh, jostling, I guess, uh, for, for places. You know, Luke Cage tries to go up against uh, Wilson Fisk as mayor of, of uh, New York. And then obviously there's this sort of clandestine hero action that's going on and um, Fisk trying to be a good guy but he's actually well no he's not trying to be a good guy 
he's trying to look like a good bike guy, but he's actually a bad guy. All the stuff that I really love. So I'm really enjoying Devil's Reign. It's a, it's, it's a really, it's a really good read so far, but I'm only a couple of issues in, but, um, yeah, I, I, I'd recommend it from what I've read so far. So that's been really good. Um, and then, um, what else was I doing the other day? I did something else in regards. Oh no, sorry. I didn't do anything else in regards to Marvel. I just thought I'd bring up Paul Edwards, who we had on from a few weeks, uh, last year, earlier this year, actually, wasn't it? From DC world for our DC takeover. He actually went to the UK premiere of black Adam and met Dwayne, the rock Johnson. Yeah. I saw his Instagram post. That was pretty cool looking. Yeah, so 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 jealous of him because uh, like I saw, I think he also did like an interview with um a couple of people as well. Yeah. Um, I watched those as well. So very awesome. Yeah, I, I saw him yesterday. So I, I went to his shop. His shops in my town. So Sean, just just for a bit of background, um, Paul, uh, he he's uh, he runs a website called DC World, all to do with DC Comics, and um, he writes blogs and things like that. And uh, he's also runs a small shop in my town. Oh, wow. um selling funko pops and <laughs> and other merchandise but he's he's been um he's been in a position where he's been able to do interviews with lots of uh dc uh people whether that be he, he was at the he was at the gotham knights game launch the other day uh which mm -hmm. is really cool but also a lot obviously lots of movie and tv stuff and he he, he went to uh he went to the uk premiere of black adam and was in the same room as Dwayne Rock Johnson and shook his hand and all that. And I saw him yesterday and I said, how are you doing, Paul? And he said, yeah, I'm just buzzing, absolutely buzzing. Mm -hmm. I said, how is it to be back amongst us simpletons? <laughs> <laughs> Not mixing with mixing with this riffraff rather than sort of with the rock. And he was like, yeah, he said it was absolutely fantastic. So, yeah, what a fantastic opportunity. Um, yeah, brilliant. And he said it was great. And he really enjoyed the film as well. Um, so, uh, <laughs> Yeah, that was uh, that was good. You know, knowing, you know, having that sort of connection between us and and Paul and and that, so that was fantastic. So uh, good stuff, good stuff. We're in good company. You're in good company. Sure. We we know somebody. <laughs> um, anyway, let's get cracking. So, Sean, we've invited you on. Um, as you may know, um, we we go out live. So this is live right now on on. Where are we, Jaren? Where are we live? Uh, we are live on Twitter, Twitch, uh, Facebook page, a couple of Facebook groups, um, and YouTube. And the new one is Trovo Live this week that I just added. So, okay. so quite a few places, Sean. So what we might find is we might find that we get some uh, some questions coming in, uh, whether they're directed at us, they might be directed at you, they might just be general conversation pieces. But we'll try. Jorian tries to sort of filter the questions from from all those different places into our conversation. Um, so as we're talking, if we get any questions that crop up and things that you might sort of go, oh, you know, that are directed at you, we might try and uh, get an answer out of you. Um, so just remember, guys, if you're on a platform that we can't sell who they are, who you are, then just drop your name just so we know who's listening. Um, but Sean, thank you for coming on. Well, just introduce yourself briefly to us so that we, everybody that's listening knows who you are. Okay. Well, uh, my name is Sean Martinbro. I'm a artist and a writer. I've been working in comics since the early 90s, actually. I worked for Marvel, DC, um, Dark Horse, Valiance. Uh, uh, I worked with Robert Kirkman for a long stint at Skybound on a title, a series called Thief of Thieves. Uh, it did not involve zombies. Master uh, <laughs> Thief who loved to run around and steal things, and that was a really fun series. Um, uh, I'm a native New Yorker, but I live in the Washington, D.C. area now. And so I, I spend my time 
uh, drawing and now I'm actually writing more. So kind of balancing between writing stories that I'm working with talented artists and I'm functioning as an artist on series that are written by other people and also writing and drawing my own series. Excellent. And uh, so you've got quite a distinct style as well, haven't you? Uh, yeah, I, well, I've been told that my style is very noir. And uh, for those of you who don't know, noir means black in French, but it, uh, I, I love the dramatic uh, shadow, chiaroscuro, uh, very heavy shadows, very you know stark black and white contrasts. Uh, like I, I love, I grew up reading people like uh, Alex Toth, uh, Frank Miller, uh, later on Mike Vignola, David Mazzucchelli. And these are people that use a lot of like, you know, strong shadows in their, in their line work, which I love. And that just inspired me to, to sort of emulate that kind of style. Mm. It's, it's very graphic, isn't it? That, like you say, those hard lines, those hard sort of black lines against the white, you know, the crisp white page. And it's, it's quite striking sometimes, isn't it? Especially, uh, you know, it, I think it suits certain characters better than it suits other characters. Have you found that in, in your oh, time? You know, I, to me, I feel like I can, you could apply it to any character, you know, it's just, but, but there's certain, there are certain scenes when you draw them, if they don't, if it's a, if it's in broad daylight, it's kind of hard to find a shadow, although you can, but sometimes certain scenes will lend themselves to less, to more shadows and other scenes will lend themselves to less. So it's actually kind of interesting. I think I'm constantly trying to strike a balance between light and dark, black and white. So if there's a page that's that has less shadow that creates a great contrast to a page that's heavily shadow. So it's all about finding the drama in a scene by using light and dark. Mm. Yeah, nice. Speaking of light and dark, uh, and just, just so relevant to, to Marvel and the MCU and very, very, uh, very current, um, there was lots of, lots of uh, I would say controversy, it wasn't controversy, but intrigue around people seeing Daredevil in the daylight in the last episode of She-Hulk. <laughs> that, that created controversy. Yeah. I, wouldn't say, I wouldn't say it was controversy. I wouldn't say it was controversy. That's probably the wrong word. But certainly people were like, Daredevil in the day? <laughs> and it was, I must admit, I didn't even think about it until somebody said that. And I was like, actually, that's a good point. I don't think I've ever seen Daredevil in the day until that particular moment, which was which was quite interesting, actually. And when you go think, thinking back at it, it, and especially as, you know, like I said at the time when, when that aired, I was watching, I was, I think I was about halfway through that Daredevil Netflix season and I hadn't even seen him in the daylight. I mean, not even as Matt Murdock in the daylight. It was just, everything was at night. Like he must be a, must be a nocturnal. nocturnal. Alex, yeah. Alex, you want to say something? <laughs> no, no, I just, I just feel like a lot of that has to do with like, they're trying to convey that the show's dark. So everything always takes place like at night. Like he's always fighting somebody at night, you know, one of those types <laughs> of situations like. Man. Yeah, I guess that he's, I guess that he's, uh, that it's lawyer by day, you know, vigilante by night, isn't it? I guess it's that kind of. I, I'd yeah. have to, I'd have to go back to like the legendary Frank Miller, Klaus Jansen run and say, okay, did he never draw Daredevil in the daytime? In the daytime? I mean, I, I'd have to go back and, and double check that, but you know, I, I, that totally did not even occur to me when I, when I was watching that. <laughs> it, 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 it didn't me either. <laughs> yeah. I think people just had their notepads out. While watching She Hulk, while heat watching She Hulk, and they were like, "Okay, what am I going to complain about now? <laughs> yeah. What am I going to complain about this? Got to complain about that, which I, I don't, I don't really get, but okay." But I, I love how I love how they trolled people though in the show about the hate and in the in the all the you know backlash towards the show with how it went and so forth. Yeah, that's I, the, well, I don't, I, I don't get it. It's it's so funny because I was talking about this with a friend of mine who was talking about, yeah, you know, I think that 
DC and Marvel should kind of reach out to some of these groups and engage them and, and see what they want, what they like, what they don't like. And I was saying, you know what? I don't remember Marvel DC reach out to me back in the 80s, the 90s, asking what I thought about <laughs> what, what direction I thought they should go in. You know what I mean? <laughs> back in the day before there was an internet, if you were so inclined, you would take the time to write a letter and mail it into Marvel and DC. And usually those are the whack jobs anyway. Those are people that are really kind of have a lot of time on their hands. And editorial would, it would ignore those letters. You know, what really dictates how a book does is the sales. You know, so if the sales go up, then you're doing something right. If the sales go down, then you're not. That's it. But everyone now feels like they have a say-so in what this stuff is. And I'm like, you know, I, I don't, listen, I see bad things all the time. I go, I see a bad TV show. You know what I do? I don't watch it. <laughs> I'll go to a bad restaurant. I'll say, you know what? That was a pretty crappy meal. I'm not going to go back there and I move on. But people just really want to just sit and just complain and complain. I'm like, guys, really? Like, you know, it's, it's a bit much, but you know, what do I, I think? I think like you said there, people feel like they've got some sort of claim to this stuff yeah. and how you it should be or what it should be. And, and no, you're right. It's, it's the artists. Uh, and yeah. when I say the artist, I don't just mean an artist. Not like the, the same. Yeah. The artist, <laughs> like just director, the writer. Yeah. Those people uh, yeah. on what they want to produce. And, and if you don't want to watch it, then that's fine. Like it doesn't have to speak From to the channel. <laughs> yeah. And here's the thing, like, like, I don't, I don't, I can't think of a creative person that's ever set out to do something bad. You know, like there's no, whoever said, I'm going to make a bad show or I'm going to make a bad comic book. That just doesn't happen. Usually, you know, you try something and you can either works or it doesn't, or you're really limited by the amount of time you have to produce it, you know, and that will dictate whether or not it was successful, but no one ever sets out to do something bad. And, and all these people that want to, you know, oh, that, that sucks and it sucks, it sucks. It's like, okay, when you put your thing out, how are you going to feel when people just pounce on it and tear it apart and say, you suck? And, oh, listen, come on, you wouldn't like that. So come on, you know. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I love, I like the term that you just said there, hate watching. <laughs> it's like, oh, 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 I just oh. these people, like you said, with their notepads. Yeah, like, like, okay, it's, it's Wednesday. Let me, let me sit down in front of Netflix and really, or, or, in, or Disney Plus and, and be upset about shield it's like <laughs> if, if the first two or three episodes didn't work for you then that's it give it up watch something else there's tons of other stuff to watch you know yeah yeah that's absolutely right um yeah. so something i so mine that's uh, mine sean <laughs> you, you've done it you've done a ted talk haven't you sean yes yes you've done a ted talk uh, i i reckon i could just watch ted talks all day long all day, just about anything. Doesn't matter what they're about. I could just watch TED. I don't feel I've talking about whether something's good or bad or whatever. I don't feel I've ever, ever watched a bad TED talk. I love them. I absolutely love them. And uh, I watched yours. I watched yours uh, earlier this week when Jarian said that we'd, we'd got you on. And um, again, true to form, loved it. Loved every word of it. Um, something that was really uh, prevalent in that talk was about representation. That was something that you said that, you know, you was changing opinions um, uh, on what was, uh, what, who was represented. And it's something that we, I, I was really keen to talk to you about, about the whole idea, not necessarily just of race, but of gender as well, um, of, uh, of uh, sexual orientation. But this whole idea of not necessarily, I, I don't like to use the word swapping because, but just this representation the whole sort of representation world you know obviously looking back at comics when they were first written and a lot of these characters when they were first written 
They were written by, you know, middle-aged white guys. And that was all it was. It was just straight yeah. white guys. That was it. You know, but now obviously the world is a lot, lot different. Um, and you know, I really enjoyed listening to your, your take on the whole representation side of things in your talk. Could you just elaborate a little bit on that and, and your experiences in, in the way that you changed things? I remember you saying you was, was it the Robert Kirkman yes. project that you was on? You said that you then drew this character as a, as a, as a black lady and, it, and then Robert Kirkman went, oh, so she's black. And he was like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well that, well, that, you know, I think that, um, when you grow up, you know, I, listen, I, I'm a, a black kid from the Bronx and I was a huge comic fan and you just, and you just digest what you're given and you're like, wow, you know what? I'm reading the fantastic four reading the, you know, um, Thor, I'm reading, you know, Captain America and, or the Avengers. And as you get a little older, you kind of say, well, wait a minute, I don't really see characters that look like me. Now, of course you had a couple of black characters, uh, here and there, but you start realizing, wait, you know, everything is kind of being created through one particular lens. And, you know, it really matters when you see yourself in a character, you know, when you see yourself on a big screen, but it lets you know that I can do that too. And I think, I feel like there's been this really hard push against diversity. It's, it's almost like a pushback here and people run around, oh my God, you're woke, you're woke, you're woke. And I'm like, okay, let's think about this. And I, I always think about one of the, one of my favorite movies of all time, which is the matrix. I think that the matrix is a perfect movie and it just works on so many different levels. But I always think back to when Morpheus is, you know, is, you know when uh, Morpheus is showing Neo the ropes, he's like, I can't explain to you what the Matrix is. And he's kind of walking in and explaining, you know, how it works and everything like that. And what he says is that when you kind of realize what the Matrix is and what's going on around you, and in a sense, waking up to seeing what's going on, you're going to realize there are going to be people that, that will fight tooth and nail to stay plugged into the Matrix. They don't want to wake up. And I always think about that with the woke thing, because let's think about the definition of woke. Woke means you're awake. <laughs> so <laughs> if you don't want to be with, you're like, oh, I'm anti-woke. So you're literally saying you want to stay awake. And as you get older, you know, hopefully your mindset will, will expand. You'll say, okay, you know, what? I'm seeing that things could be a little bit better. Things could be a little bit more even. Things might be, you know, be shown through one lens. And I get it, you know, back in like the 80s, or when I started reading comics in the 70s, the 80s, comic books were mostly produced by all white men, as you said. They were middle-aged white men, and they, they lived in the suburbs. Now, comic books for Marvel and DC, they were based in New York City. They were based in Manhattan. That's where their offices were. And a lot of those people that worked there came in from the suburbs. Now, if you're a white guy living in the suburbs and all your friends are white, and you went to all-white schools, well, chances are what you create will be all-white. Because you, you're not even thinking about a Pakistani guy, like, you know, I've been thinking about a character that would look like that because you don't come in contact with that. So I can understand that. But as you, hopefully as you expand your thinking, you expand your experiences, you say, you know what? There is value. There's, there's value in like these different cultures, these different types of people. Think about some of like the greatest creators on the planet. Let's say like Michael Jackson or the Beatles. Those guys went, they, they went off and like started traveling the world and started pulling from other cultures other styles and they would they like madonna they would they would take things from different places put their spin on it and it made it more interesting so diversity and you know it's it's not a bad thing it's it's actually should it just it, it inspires you as a creative person so going back to your original point about representation is that as i got older i said wow you know what 
I'm not seeing characters that look like me in stories. And so if there's an opportunity for me to make a character, a character of color or a, a female character, I'm going to do that. Is it just, and, and I'll try to go against my programming. Cause even as, even though I'm writing, I'm writing now, I'm writing more characters. Sometimes I'll instinctively say, let me make this a man character, a male character. I'm like, well, wait, why am I doing that? You know, why am I just making this a male character? I can make it a, I can make it a female character and that could give me more that can sort of make things a little bit, that can mix things up. It can give me a different perspective. And, and ultimately you, what makes a great story is having characters with different perspectives coming together and that creates your conflict. If everybody is thinking the same way, there's no yeah. conflict. Yep. If everyone has the same experience, there's no conflict. And so I feel like, you know, so, so going back to your point about the, um, the instance where I was working with Robert Kirkman, when we were first working on Thief of Thieves, which is the series that we, created together um robert said okay here are a bunch of characters like the lead guy is white and he's got a wife an ex-wife and his son i know they're white and he also has a crew of thieves that he pulls hoist with and he just threw out a bunch of names he didn't give me any descriptions for them so i literally sat back it's all right let me kind of think about really different types of characters so i had like a asian character i had like a puerto rican character i had a black character and then you had like the main nemesis to our lead character conrad um, and, um, her name was, um, Elizabeth Cohen and she was a, a female FBI agent. And I'm like, well, you know what? Let me make her black. And he didn't specify what she was. So I did a design and designed her as a black woman. And I said that, and he was like, oh, Elizabeth Cohen's black now. Cool. And just like that, I created a bit of representation. Now going forward, if it ever gets adapted or whatever, then that's like a living, breathing person that now represents a black female in that story. And it's really powerful because if a black female, like, you know, comic book reader, black, you know, if a, a black female comic book reader reads this, she'll be like, wow, that's really cool. Like I'm seeing myself in this work, you know? And if someone who's not used to <laughs> a black woman, they'll say, oh, okay, you know what? I see that she exists on the paper. So in my mind, I can see that she can exist in her life. And, this might counter any prejudices or things I've been told about this person since I've never met them before. Like I've always said that television and film paved the way for Barack Obama becoming president because it, because before then we had never had a black president, obviously, but we had black presidents in media. We had black presidents in movie. You had what Morgan Freeman playing the president. in One of those movies you had, um, you know, I think there was like a black president in 24 with Kiefer Sutherland. And if people see in Reddit, and that's the power of representation. If people see that that's possible, then in real life, it's not so far-fetched. Yeah. And that's the power of media and art to has to sort of, you know, open minds and, you know, make people, inform people's perspectives. So the recent outrage right now is that uh, people are casting Kiki Palmer as Rogue uh, for, for X-Men. And, you know, I don't think her identity, her race has anything to do with, with Rogue at all. She could be anybody as long as she has that Southern Belle type of attitude, what are your thoughts on the whole Kiki Palmer? Because she even did an interview for Nope, and she did the accent and everything, and it was spot on, if you've seen that video of her on, on the Nope interview. I know, listen, I grew up reading the X-Men, and, and of course, Rogue was always a white female character with, with the Southern accent. I get it. But people also have to realize, okay, now we're in a different media. This is either, this is film, this is television. The X-Men have been done, like they've been done in, in, in movies. So in our minds... Uh, what was the what was the actress's name who played Rogue in the films? Anna Paquin. Anna Paquin. 
So, okay, you're going to, if Marvel's going to, Marvel now has the X-Men back. If they're going to make their stamp on it, you want to do something different. So that's why people are, I think, you know, there was the rumor where um, Giancarlo Esposito might play Professor X. Okay. And people are like, oh my God, that, that's terrible. It's terrible. But I, I, and even my, my buddy, who's a huge comic fan, I call him my civilian friend. He gives me perspective on, you know, like just the average fanboy response. He's like, yeah, I don't know about that. I said, well, let's think about this. Patrick Stewart is so associated with Professor X that any other white guy you kind of plug into that, you know, if he's an older, older white guy who's bald, they're going to be comparing him to Patrick Stewart. Mm-hmm. So how can you creatively, creatively, you want to kind of come at this from a different angle to, to throw people off to say, okay, this is something new. And that to me, I see the, the benefit of that. That's what they say what race swapping is. That's, there's, there's a business angle here. It's not just like, oh, we're taking something away from you. It's like, we're trying to give you something different. We're trying to give you a different spin on something that you know so well, because isn't that what you're paying for? Like, I don't know about you, but when I put down my hard-earned money to go see a movie, I wouldn't be surprised. Yeah. I don't want to be able to predict the movie scene by scene by scene. You know what I mean? I want to be like, wow, I didn't see that coming. And seeing a completely different take on characters that we know I'm all for, you know, just and, make it good. And that's how I feel about Namor and Wakanda forever because yeah. them uh, casting uh, Tanak Huerta in the role is a genius move. You're you're bringing a whole other demographic that the MCU hasn't had before. There's no heavy uh, Latino character in the MCU, really. You know, yes, we have Louise, we have Torres, but no major person like Namor like that. And so them doing that also along with disassociating them, him from Aquaman and using the Central American region, they're doing a whole different spin on it. And it's a whole new surprising thing. And I can't wait to see it. Yeah. It's like, no one's, no one's realizing that. Cause I think when I was reading some of the information about the film and they were saying how they're calling, they're not calling it. He's not from Atlantis. It's a different name. Yep. Telecom. And, and then I realized, whoa, okay. Because Atlantis has already been claimed by, you know, Jason Momoa, you know, uh, his, his Aquaman franchise, they've already claimed that. So you can't do the same thing. You know, I, th- I probably would say that. So I, I get why you would want to go in a completely different direction with this character, but at least stay true to his essence and, and stay true to like what we know of the character. Um, I got, I just, I, I saw uh, black Adam and, um, I, I thought that Dr. Fate looked really great. Like I really loved how they visualized the characters. I kind of wish that they had given Dr. Fate some different type of powers because doing multiple versions of himself, it's like, we saw Dr. Strange do that already. Mm-hmm. I kind of wish that they would kind of sat down and say, okay, how can Dr. Fate use his powers in a different way? Cause I thought he looked great. I thought that Pierce Watson was great. I just think that you've got to differentiate these characters now. And now that DC is sort of trying to get back on their feet and they're trying to establish their, their movies, you know, over, here's the thing. Well, everyone knows if, if you're a comic book fan, Marvel and DC have copied each other over the years. You know, a lot of their characters are, are, are copies of each other. They're mirror images of each other. But now that we're getting into fit TV and film, they really have to work to differentiate that. So even so, when I'm looking at these characters, I'm like, wow, okay, Adam Smasher, he looks really cool running around. He's big. However, you already have Ant-Man who grows very big and he's kind of goofy. He's kind of funny. So I don't know if you should have made Adam Smasher goofy and funny because people are going to be thinking Ant-Man. You know what I mean? Same thing with like Dr. Fate. Dr. Fate, like you kind of have this like regal kind of white guy playing, you know, Kent. And then I'm thinking, okay, well, you kind of have a regal guy playing Dr. Strange. 
So maybe you kind of have to go in different directions. Like I said, give people something different. So they're not like saying, oh, that looks too familiar. And they're comparing. That, that's my thing. Mm-hmm. Um, I, so, oh, go on, Alex. Go on. I, I was just going to say, I haven't seen Black Adam yet, um, but I'm, I'm hearing that there's a big in credit scene in that, <laughs> in that movie. Um, that, no, that why? Worst kept secret yeah. on the planet. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah. So you know, hopefully that'll kind of point uh, DC's movie franchise a little bit in a better direction. You know. Yeah. So just a couple of things on what you said there, Martin. I just picked up on. Uh, firstly, I've, I knew that we'd be friends, and the fact that you Matrix is one of your favorite movies of all time. Brilliant. Well done. Mine too. Great movie. Um, yeah, fantastic movie. <clears throat> Uh, I'm all uh, I'm all up for that kind of that whole um, you know uh, stick it to the man sort of anti-establishment type stuff. So um, I, I really enjoy that whole movie. Um, and talking to that movie and just bringing it back, I've got a theme of tonight. I feel like I've got a theme in this session. Okay. Um, I just watched the uh, is it in the penultimate episode, I believe, of the first season of Daredevil, um, when uh, Karen Page is he's uh, taken actually by. Um, john wesley and that scene he is he could be hugo weaving in the matrix go and re-watch that scene it is it's spooky how much he's like hugo weaving hugo weaving in the matrix as agent smith it's even some of the things that he says and he says about him being inevitable and all of this kind of stuff and i'm like i I didn't realize it 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 was it was very similar but um anyway Love that movie, and there's a little good little uh, connection that I noticed the other night. Um, but more importantly, that was just a side note. Um, you mentioned about the essence of a character being important and 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 um, being maintained, regardless of whether you swap their gender or race or sexual orientation or whatever it is. Um, and I, and I totally agree. I think that is vitally important. Um, so so is there any time? where you feel that the the race or the gender or the sexual orientation of a character shouldn't be tampered with are there are there any times where it's like actually no this is vital could you could you pick out one or two characters across dc or marvel and say actually this person needs to be uh you know a a gay white man or he needs to be a a black female Uh, he needs to be a black female (laughs) she needs to be a black female do you know what i mean i i I might be i might have some questions if they cast Brad Pitt as T'Challa. Yes, the Black Panther. I, I that, that that wouldn't really make a lot of sense to me. Um, the Ryan Gosling meme of T'Challa. Yeah, be <laughs> floating around. I, I think that kind of goes against the essence of the character. But then someone might say, "Oh, but what about what if you made Thor a black guy?" But well, we've established that there are black as guardians with with uh, the casting of um, uh, Idris. Idris Elba as um, Heimdall, um, saying you can have a there, there are tons of black Brits that could do that. So you know, so that's that really crazy. I for me as a creative person, my mind is open. I try to keep my mind open. Of course, you know, I'm a human being, so of course I have my little blind spots. But I just want you to surprise me. So if you're gonna if you come at me with something completely out of left field, I might be taken aback at first, but I'm like, okay, let me see what you're doing with that. Where are we going with this? And, and uh, I'm going to be with you there. So if I see where, if you swap someone so crazy, like they were talking about doing a black Superman at one point that Ridley Scott was, I'm not sorry, not Ridley Scott. Um, John Ridley was 
think John Ridley was going to write it, or I'm not sure. But I'm like, okay, a black Superman. And people are like, oh my God, no, no, you can't, you can't change Superman. I'm like, but Superman has been around for like, what, 50 years at least? Like, don't you want to see some switch ups of that character? I mean, okay. So like, yeah, that might be a little jarring for some people. Then you might want to check your own self in terms of why that's jarring. <laughs> but I'm like, okay, where are we going with this? What, what new way can I look at Superman and, and say, okay, well, that, that'd be interesting seeing a black guy do it. Now, also what, what kind of worked against them with that one is that they didn't give Henry Cavill a chance. And Henry Cavill was a great mm-hmm. Superman. He was just, he just didn't get a chance to sort of shine as Superman. So you kind of didn't give him his due and now you're going to replace him with someone else and, and don't put the black guy in there because you said the black guy up to fail right away. So that, that won't work there. That, that wouldn't work. But I, I just, like I said, as a creative, my mind is, is pretty much open. Let me see. You might throw me, but let me see where you're going with it. And then I'll, I'll make my decision after I watch the whole thing. Okay. Yeah. Fair enough. That's, that's, that's a nice answer. So it's, you, you've kind of, aren't, you've kind of abstained to answer, but in a really good, good way. Do you know what I mean? You've kind of got to, actually, I, I'm not going to answer it because I, I want to see what you can do for me first, you know? You know, and, and like, you know, I kind of attribute it to, okay, let's say if you got like a really crappy email from somebody and you really, you're really ready to respond. Like me, I, I would be like, but I've learned to stop. Okay, you could type out the email, but don't send it. Sit within a minute, maybe mm. five or 10, and you, you'll probably feel a little bit differently and say, you know what? I'm glad I didn't send that email. Mm. And that's the way I think about it with, these, with, with media, with entertainment stuff. Like, okay, I don't, I don't know about where you're going with this. But let me kind of sit with it. Let me think about it. And I might be like, okay, you know what? That worked. I see where you're going with that. Yeah, I think people are too quick, to, aren't they? Just to oh. just to quickly turn the screw and sort of put their two pence worth in and just say, "Oh, I didn't like it because it's different." Um, yeah. I've been talking about that a lot this week, actually. Just I won't go into why I've been talking about, but not people not understanding things um, and not knowing why something's happening. No. Um, it, they're scared. You know, it's the same. It's the same. We we used to be scared of. Well, some people are still scared of thunder and lightning, but we, we all used to be scared of thunder and lightning because we thought it was the gods like, trying to yeah. punish us. And then when we know differently, when, once we get the information and we understand what's actually yeah. happening, lots of people are not scared. No, but I agree. I, I agree with you. I think you're right about part of it's fear, but also part of it is people wanted to be funny and they want to be the first one to comment. They want that attention <laughs> of being the first one out the box to say something. Yep. You know what I mean? I, I don't know about you guys, but when I was in school, when I was in elementary school or high school or junior high, you know, sometimes you might be in the lunchroom and everyone's cracking jokes, everyone's cracking jokes. And, and then someone might, maybe the fourth person might try to throw a joke in there. It's not funny. And then, and then the whole room goes dead. And then it can <laughs> that person. these days, everyone wants to be funny. They, they want to be funny. They want to be clever. And it's yeah. like, dude, you might want to, you might want to think twice because a, if you took it, if you took some time, cause there've been a lot of times where I'll see something on Twitter and I'm like, oh my God, I want to comment. And then I'm like, whoa, wait, I totally didn't read that right. Yeah. Step back. And I didn't understand that. And I, and I almost sort of put my foot in my mouth by saying something without, without having all the information. I just think that people really need to slow down with that. I also like how you said, you want to be surprised, show me something different. And, you know, people always forget. It's like, we're not taking everything from the pages as they are and putting them on screen, right? Sure. The pages are inspiration to kind of help you mold the story. But 
once it comes on the screen, they're going to fit that to, you know, their larger story, their grand scheme of things, you know, Kevin Feige's big, you know, big board of how he wants the MCU phases to go. So I completely agree. Surprise us. Show us something different. Don't show me a carbon copy of what we see on the pages. Also, too, a lot of that stuff you already said was written from a certain point of view, a certain time frame, and that's not going to have any other thing thought about to include. I think some of the laziest journalism, whenever I, 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 it just jumps out to me as lazy journal, journalism whenever I see a critic say, oh, Marvel movies are all safe and they're all carbon copies. They're, they're, there's, there's, they're, they don't take chances. And I'm like, are you insane? Like Marvel, if you look at the end of every one of their movies, the status quo is not the same. Like they could have milked, they, they, have, they have upended things that they could have milked under any other studio system for at least three movies. You know what I mean? Like I was shocked when they got rid of S.H.I.E.L.D. They, they could have, they could have milked shield for how many more movies I was shocked when Iron Man revealed that he was Tony Stark. They could have milked that for a long time. You know, like, like they destroyed Asgard. I mean, like <laughs> each one of their movies, like at the end of black Panther, he's like, Hey, we exist. Wakanda is ex you know, like, so it's like, it's like, what do you, what do you, how could you say that they don't take risks? Of course there's certain formulaic parts of their movies, but overall I give it to Marvel is that they keep us on our toes you know, with a lot of their movies, because they, they, they totally go against what we're expecting, which I think is, is why they're so successful. Successful. Mm -hmm. I feel like if you went and watched Endgame, I know me going into Endgame, a lot of my thinking on that movie was, who's going to die in this movie? Yeah. You know, like, and, and I kept on going in like, oh, it's not going to be Tony Stark. It's going to be Captain America who's going to die. Like, it's going to be. And then so, you know, at the end of that movie, I'm like, oh, wow, Tony Stark just died and Captain America, like, went off and lived the life, like. My head was completely thrown for a loop, but I liked that, you know, it was the exact opposite of what I expected going into that movie. Yeah. And these are, and these are characters that have generated billions of dollars at the box office. So under any other normal studio system, they'd be like, are you crazy? We're not, we're not you know, we're not getting rid of Iron Man. I mean, like, granted, listen, I mean, Robert Downey Jr. is sitting on a bed of a mountain full of cash. So he's, <laughs> he's become expensive, mm. but they would be like, why are we not on Iron Man six by now? <laughs> you know? Yeah. yeah. I'm going to come in here from the chat and they agree too as well. Yes, show us something good and different like Work by Night, for example. I haven't seen that yet. I, I, I hear oh. good things, but I have not seen it yet. Oh, it, it's great. It's great. I was, just about to, I was just about to say, I think it's a really good comment. That was Roxy there. Um, uh, really great comment because I was going to ask you what you thought of Werewolf by Night. Because, <laughs> uh, speaking of noir, you know, uh, uh, do you know what? Actually, something that came up the other day, which I didn't actually realize, somebody that brought it to my attention. Um, and Martin, I'll, I'll try not to spoil it for you uh, and I'll try and be vague with what I'm saying. So um, there's a moment at the end of the film, Alex and Jaro, I don't know what, oh, sorry, sorry, moment at the end of the special presentation. Um, <laughs> uh, Alex and Jaro know what I'm talking about, where it goes from black and white to color. And um, there's somewhere over the rainbow is playing when, that, when that's on. And it's very much like um, uh, Dorothy. And you know she's coming back from, from from Oz. Yeah, and you're saying you're saying too much. Get off of where we're going. Now I'm going to be waiting for the color to to pop up. So come on. Don't worry, don't worry, don't worry. You'll be you'll still be surprised. But yes. I didn't even realize that that happened. And it was only when somebody brought it up, I went, "Oh yeah, why didn't I spot that the first time round?" But um, fantastic little uh, little little nod there. Um, and the way that they did that was brilliant. But we won't talk any more about Werewolf by Night, Sean. We don't want to ruin it for you. Um, let me know when you watch it, though, because I'm interested to hear your thoughts on it, especially with your style of, of illustrations and how they do work by night. So definitely keen to hear your opinion on it when, when you watch it. That yeah, was exactly I, my point, yeah. I've been, I, I've been like uh, in 
I've been invested in Andor. So like, yeah, oh, that's what I yeah. on. Andor, the, the last two episodes of Andor have been absolutely outstanding. Listen, if you told me, like, the fact that I am loving the workplace drama in a Star Wars, <laughs> which has, that's what I'm talking about with show me something new. Yeah, yeah. You know, that workplace drama was more interesting than any of the, like, the last, like, like lightsaber duels and, like, the last yeah. couple of months. You know? Yeah, yeah, that, uh, whole, that whole bit. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't watched it yet, so I, I plan to binge watch it when it's done. I just, just haven't had time. Joanne, just it, it, so episodes one through three, and they released one and three, one, two, and three together for a reason because it is quite slow burn in those first three episodes. Episode four kind of starts setting the store a little bit. And once you get, to, I mean, episode six is possibly one of the best episodes of anything that I've watched for a long time. Gripping, just oh, absolutely incredible. And then episode seven, it, most of it's dialogue, but the dialogue is just just beautiful there's two or three moments of dialogue and it's just gripping absolutely gripping it's just two people or, or, or three four people talking together and you're just like the whole time you know it's really really fantastic i absolutely i i adore it i think it's brilliant absolutely brilliant how many episodes is it uh i think there's uh 12 so okay uh, there's gonna be 12 there's seven so oh, far nice. i think okay. so, and, but that's that's one season then there's another season of 12 episodes that's coming out early next year mark's live mark you're live aren't you i think you were live you were live a minute ago mark let us know how many episodes of andor is uh, there is going to be um so sean just uh, thinking about you and your style and the comics that you've um illustrated um what if someone was going to adapt a story that you've illustrated for onto the onto the screen what sort of character do you think would it it would work for best and would you like to be involved in a project that could be that could be taken onto the big screen and if so how like how would you how would you envisage that going if let's say marvel or dc anybody came to you and said sean we really like this story we're going to adapt this we want your help oh well i mean i would love to be involved i probably would say out of all my projects the most the project that i had the most creative freedom on to create was thief of thieves with Robert Kirkman, uh, because that was just creating a world from the ground up in terms of like the visuals, the characters, how they look, um, his mannerisms. Uh, I mean, so that's something that if they were to make it a adaptation from, I'd be like, okay, well, uh, I'm, I'm assuming I'm going to get a call that someone might, might, you know, care about my two cents, but, um, but yeah, that's, that's the, probably the project I had the most creative freedom on a lot of the other projects. Well, actually I'm trying to think, I mean. If I'm going back further, it was a miniseries that I did for Marvel called The Morlocks. Um, came out around 2002. It might have been one of Jeff Johns' first projects for Mar uh, in comics, and he wrote it. It was like a, it was like a very, I don't think it really sold well. Barely any people really remember it, but it was awesome. It was about following like a group of mutants that lived in Chicago, and um, they were Morlocks, and and I had a lot of creative freedom to do that and so that would they were interesting eclectic group of characters that would be great to see if they did something with them um my luke cage noir series that i did for marvel it was luke cage reimagined in the 1920s during the harlem renaissance oh wow that would be an amazing kind of like mini series to see someone just do i mean and for that i would just be curious hey you know i think i laid it out on that in terms of how it looks let me see what someone does with it like that'd be really interesting to see that would um, make an interesting what if episode yeah, yeah. Um, 
instantly i could i could imagine straight away as soon as you said it i was like i'm seeing it instantly yeah that if you see see where to rip off you know the mcu and and because the mcu has the they have the ability to do that with something like what if um but if dc were to kind of like do an elseworlds kind of jump off for Mm -hmm. television no 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 wait no elseworlds is still dc yeah Um, what if is marvel yeah yeah i guess so yeah marvel could do it they could do a what if like the noir series and the what if kind of vein they could do that that would be very interesting um uh actually there was a there's a the hellboy the two stories that i did featured a black character named woody uh which would always would be fun to see actually woody palling around with hellboy in real life or in animation that would be great to see so yeah those are a couple projects that might work nice nice on the uh and or confirmation uh looks like mark says 12 for the first season all taking over the time of one year, 12 for the second season, taking place over four years. Oh, Every wow. three episodes will be a year leading to the events of Rogue One, which that's oh, still wow. my favorite Vader scenes is Rogue One. <laughs> yeah. Rogue One is great. That gets better with time. That that's like that's like wine. That that movie gets better with time. <laughs> yeah, we were talking about that today, actually. I was talking about um, Ben Mendelssohn in that movie. Uh-huh. Uh, just saying uh, uh, absolute class that man is. And I didn't realize until about a week ago that he was in the film Vertical Limit. It was, have you ever seen that movie where they cry? Yeah, wait, 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 was that the one with um, uh, Charlie Sheen jumping out, no. the, out of the plane? No. No, wait. what's that? No, Vertical, Vertical Limit, Limit is. Vertical Limit is with, um, oh, what's the guy's name that played? Um, where he says his sister? Yeah, that's it, yeah. He was, ben Mendelsohn was in that movie? Yeah, Ben Mendelsohn was in that movie, right? He's, the, he's one of the brothers. Like He's like a, the, the stoner climber. Okay, he gets blown up. I, that, that is exactly the attitude I had, Joe. And when I saw him, I was like, "I didn't remember him." Yeah, no, watch it again. And he's in that movie. But um, but uh, anyway, Ben Mendelsohn, brilliant actor, as, and, and in Rogue One, fantastic. Um, but uh, just oh, I've lost my train of thought. Vertical limit is hilarious. Who said that? Yeah, Mark, go back, go back, Mark, go back, Mark, watch it and find Ben Mendelsohn. But yes, it is hilarious. Um, there was something else I was meaning to ask you. Oh yes, that's right. Um, so. Uh, this one might take us up to the end of the episode, but um, well, we're not constrained to an hour if, if Sean's not. So no, no that's very. <laughs> <strange>. um, <laughs> um, uh, and something we're we're keen on talking about, and something that's very even more current, as about as current as you could possibly be in the MCU right now. Um, what are your thoughts around recasting T'Challa? Yes, I, I was asked this question recently, and I I feel like. Um, uh, once again, this is one of those situations where people that are so outspoken kind of need to take a pause and think about the big picture. I mean, they were just about to start filming this thing. They were about to go into pre-production on this when he died. So, you know, what do you, what do, you do? And I think that the Black Panther made such a cultural impact around the world that any Black male actor that stepped into that role so soon would be compared to him. Yep. I can't th- and I, to be honest, I really can't think of a black actor of his same age with that kind of gravitas to overcome people comparing him to Chadwick. I, I can't. And so I, I understand Marvel saying, yeah, we can't really recast him now. And maybe they might change that in the future. But I think it is, I think it was too soon. And once again, I'm curious to see how they deal with it. I'm curious to see how they deal with it. I'm, I mean, they're a class act, so I don't see. I, I see that, you know, they, they're going to, you know, pay the proper attention to them. But I think that 
eventually they'll they'll probably recast him. I mean, but I think right now, I think it would have been really distracting, really distracting to do that. And I can't think of a known black male actor in his age range that could overcome all of the, the, the scrutiny and the comparisons to Chadwick Boseman. It's just so. Yeah, I also think too that, that Ryan Coogler had a big influence because the more I read about it, it's just that he couldn't do it. He's like, I couldn't do it for this movie. And the more I read about his uh, interviews and just the cast talking about it, he couldn't do it so soon. And I think that played a huge role on how Marvel's handling handling this. Yeah, and I, I just think that uh, with people like, oh my God, he should have recast. Like, I mean, come on. Like, the, the, it's not like we knew he was dying for a long time and we could kind of wrap our brain around it. That was just some out of left field news that he died. So, and that was what? Was that? Last year, because I mean, time is all screwed up now because of everything. But it was that like the last two? I think with the last two, two years, years yeah, so just over two years ago. Yeah, it was just. I, so I don't, I don't fault them for doing what they're what they're doing. I mean, yeah, you're right. It was a lot to feel. We saw that one picture of him sick, you know, or not sick, but everyone's like, "What's going on with Chadwick?" That one picture, he looked really frail. And then a few months later, the news came out that you know what was going on with him. So you and, know, and also, and also, here's the thing: like it, his presence goes beyond one movie. Like they had him in Civil War, they had him in Black Panther, and he was also in uh, Infinity War. So you know, like, so like people have been seeing him multiple times in that role. So I think it's just hard for that. It's just too soon for that. Yeah, that's I mean, why I was going, Jar. Oh, that's, I was going to say that's why I, I think there's going to be. A ch- I'm still going with my theory. There's going to be a child. You know, they're not showing a lot of Nakia in the in in the previews. It's like you barely see her. You know, well, and, you, told me, you told me this theory. What, 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 yeah, what yeah. I I still think there's going to be a child, and that's how they're going to do it. There's two Wakanda series they have for Disney Plus. One about the Dora Milaje, and one unnamed. I think it's going to be like a Young King series. I can completely see it happening. See, I try not to do that. I try not to try to guess as to what's coming, unless something is so obvious that I'm like, okay, I can't help but see that. Okay, when you walk into the house, that the, the bad. The killer is behind the door with the big axe. Like that's just very obvious. So unless something's very played out for me, I'd really try not to speculate. I really try. That's I try. That's what we ever do. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and but, but my, my thing was whole thing is like with Marvel. At first they were saying like I think it was uh was it Brad uh, what's his name came out and said no we're never going to recast T'Challa you know early on but then more recently they're saying well you know Kevin Feige and Cougar saying well. Right now isn't the time to recast T'Challa, you know, kind of leave the door open for later on. That's why I'm saying they could transition that and still kind of, you know, pay respects and, and not have to recast him if there was a child. Uh, yeah. That's where I'm coming from. The conclusion that I've kind of come to after all of this, and, and, and I, I must admit, I, hands up, I was in the kind of uh, the camp of, yeah, recast him, you know, uh, I was. Um, yeah. But I can, I can look back on those faults that I had then and say that, uh, now I've got different thoughts and I, I feel like I was wrong back then. There, There's no more time. There's no time after this movie to tell a Chadwick Boseman story. This is it. If we're going to tell a Chadwick Boseman story, if we're going to pay homage to Chadwick Boseman, I say we, if, if Marvel are going to pay homage to Patrick, Chadwick Boseman, this movie is it. They can't recast T'Challa and then pay homage to Chadwick Boseman in like the next movie. That, that won't work. It has to be done now. Um, so there's 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 no more time for Chadwick Boseman stories. However, there's plenty more time for T'Challa stories. Sure. Yeah. So T'Challa can come back in uh, in another way, in another form later on down the line when um, time has done its job uh, of, of of healing. 
um, and, um, and, and easing that burden that you speak about, Sean, of, uh, of, a, of another actor stepping into those, those shoes that Chadwick left behind. Um, so yeah, that's, that's my views on it now at this stage. However, one thing I would like to, to sort of bring up, and I think that you'll appreciate this, especially mm -hmm. based on what you you were saying earlier on in the episode. And this is, this, these aren't my words. These are, um, so I, I guess he's kind of, um, I suppose, a, a, a special guest host. I suppose he's been on our show a few times now. He's a member of, uh, a member of the group, Monty Harry, um, good guy. Something that he was saying uh, a long time ago about this whole sort of recast T'Challa and whether we will see T'Challa again was again around representation. And he was saying um, that when he was growing up reading comics, same, same as you, he saw, you know, lots of, lots of white people. He saw the occasional sort of black guy here and there, you know, Falcon or Luke Cage, you know, but they all tend to be sort of like from Harlem or the Bronx, you know, they've come from nothing. And, he, and all of a sudden you've got T'Challa, who's a king. He's mega rich. He's super respected. Everyone loves him. He's got this sort of nation, this army, all the resources. And it's like, all of a sudden, you're not just represented by a guy from Harlem. You're represented by a king of a nation who's got everything at his fingertips. And he's, you know, he's just an amazing king person, you know. And like you said, I could be that guy, you know. And it opens up that whole kind of conversation around the representation, not just necessarily being representing you, but someone from your neighborhood, but actually representing something larger, you know, something that you could be. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, if you see images, if all the, if, if the only images you see of yourself are negative images. Yeah. Well, how do you think that's going to make you feel? And what, what do you think that's going to make you think about your potential? You know, if you look at a lot of movies in the seventies, I mean, you know, like black, black, black folks in not even seventies, you just, you just keep going, you know, post-slavery. Like, you know, there were just so many like dehumanizing depictions of black folks over the years. And you can't tell me that as a white person, if you're seeing this, if you don't know any black people and all you see are criminals or buffoons or servants or minstrels. Well, how do you think you're going to perceive black people when you meet one in the, you know, finally, when you finally meet some, a, a, a black person? And that's why, you know, when you have groups now sort of saying, hey, we're tired of sort of either not being shown or being shown in a negative light. And hey, if you don't know people of this persuasion, then hire people, give people a chance to write and direct those stories about themselves. You know what I mean? And that's, that's a big thing. I think, you know, what a lot of white folks need to realize is that Equality doesn't mean that some, someone's taking something away from you. You know what I mean? No one's saying, no one's taking something away from you. We're just saying, hey, treat everyone the way you're being treated. You know what I mean? So, yeah, that, that's it. And I don't have, I, I've, to me, one of the most progressive movies that I think everyone sleeps on is Die Hard. Die Hard is, the, is there are four different types of black men featured in Die Hard. Yeah, the cop. Yep. You have the tech guy, the nerdy tech guy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You have the, the really cocky FBI guy. Yeah. And then there's wait, the limo driver. The limo driver, Argyle. Yeah. What other movie? Think about it. Those are that's four different types of black men represented, and no one's making a big deal about it, but it just yeah. Yeah. 
And to me, like, I'm like, I don't, you can have the black guy be the villain, but don't make him be the only black guy in the movie. That's, you know, that's a villain. Give me some balance there. You know? That cracks, that cracks me up. The, the, the FBI agent. <laughs> they're both, are they both called Thompson or Johnson? Johnson. Yeah, Agent Age Johnson, Agent Johnson. And he goes, we're not no related. No <laughs> relation. I mean, and they're all distinct. They're all distinct and different. You know what I mean? Which is, which is great. You got the nerdy tech guy who's like, ha, ha, ha. Like the quarterback is toast. You know, like you got yeah. that. You got Argyle who's kind of wisecracking and stuff like that. And then you got Reginald Bell Johnson playing the, the father of the cop. He was just kind of grounded and who's really sort of being like the emotional anchor for Bruce, Bruce Willis's character, you know, but Die Hard is to me, like, I'm like, that is such a progressive movie. It's ridiculous. Oh, wow. I'm going to watch next time. I, I mean, I, I did know that obviously, but now I watch that movie the next time I'm going to watch it in a complete different light. Mm -hmm. And I think something else I really enjoyed as we were talking about representation <laughs> and this breaking down these kind of stereotypes and, and these visions that we've got. Um, I watched it a while ago. Me and my son watched it because I said, watch this. I said, you'll really like this. It was um, a time to kill. Oh, with Matthew McConaughey and Samuel Jackson and, and all of that. And I just, I really enjoyed it. What, what are you laughing about, Joe? Nothing. Go ahead. <laughs> no, I just really like that movie and that his whole speech at the end of that, about when he says about, you know, he talks through the, the whole crime and then he just says, and now, and now I imagine she's white. And because everyone was imagining that it was the little girl that it was happening to. And then all of a sudden he just puts that image in their heads and then they all just kind of go, oh yeah, like we weren't thinking about that. Yeah, and I can imagine why Jerry is probably laughing because it's like it's like a it's like a white savior kind of structure. But you know what? If it gets the message across, I'll take it. I, I, I'll take that. You know what I mean? Can, can that be refined a bit? Could that could there be some more nuance there? Sure. But if but the more movies we have like that, I, I'm I'm not mad at it. I, I I get it. But that was a really great speech, though. That was a great speech. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I, like I say, I think the the, the thing that. Uh, the reason I brought it up is because like you said about imagining that that image that you're seeing in your head of yourself or of, or of somebody else if you're always seeing somebody in a certain light then that's I, that's how you're going to always see them and that's what I, I think that's what made me think about it because in that speech they were all seeing what they thought they were seeing until he put a little nugget in their mind to change walk, the, walk them up yeah exactly yeah no you so, um, Alex, you were having some conversation before we came on. You were kind of quiet. So do you want to talk about any of Sean's work that you were talking about before we got on with live? Yeah. So we were actually talking about like, uh, Red Hood and stuff earlier. And I, and I know you worked on Red Hood and you actually brought something up earlier about like people writing in and, and, you know, sending in like messages and, and things like that and letters. But I, I wanted to bring up, cause I actually thought this was funny. I remember back, I think there was at one point in time that Jason Todd thing where you could call in and you could do the, you know, choose what happens to Jason Todd or whatever in DC comics. Do you remember that? Yeah. Oh yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, and, and I, I personally, like, I've always thought that that was a really interesting thing, but I know that you've done some work with Jason Todd as a character with Red Hood and everything like that. So I wanted to kind of see what your thoughts were on that character and, and working on Red well, Hood. It's, it's funny because when the, uh, the bad office reached out to me and they, they said, Hey, listen, we, we, we're, we'd love, we're interested in, are you available to write and draw a two part sort of, um, a two part story? For the red hood because we kind of have a space in between our next event which at that time was future state that was their big uh crossover or whatever event and so i said well listen I, i'm busy drawing something else but i'm available to write 
So they said, oh, sure. So I pitched them a story and uh, I had no idea who the Red Hood was. Mm-hmm. And then when they said, oh, but that's Jason Todd and he was killed by the Joker. And I thought about that, that, that comic book that you were talking about, how back in the 80s, it was, it was and I remember it because it had a great Mike Mignola cover where Jason Todd's like, he's, he's Robin, he's, he's dressed as Robin, he's, there's blood on his face. And, and it was like, you can choose whether or not he lives or dies. And I, was, and I remember that because I was like, that's kind of hardcore. Uh, I think people voted for him to die. Mm-hmm. Um, and so then I just started doing some research um, because, you know, when I decided to take the, the job, I was like, all right, let me kind of do some research in terms of who to see who Red Hood is. And I was, you know, read a bunch of books and I looked at a, a, some of those uh, animated series. And I was like, wow, okay, this is who he is. This is an interesting character. Um, and uh, it was, it's tricky because as a writer, I can't really make any major changes with, with Jason within two issues, um, mm-hmm. two issues. But I can try to expose him or I, could, or I could try to maybe show a different side of him by using supporting characters around him. And I thought it'd be interesting to kind of place him in a new environment because I think he had, he had been gone from Gotham, but he was coming back to Gotham for like this, these, these two, two issues. And I, I uh, thought it'd be interesting to put him in a new environment with new characters. And I thought about this story that I had illustrated back in 1999 called Batman the Hill. It was written by Christopher Priest. And it was all it was all about this really neglected area section of Gotham City called the Hill, and you know this was this was like the black section, but um, and this is you know Christopher Priest had written a whole more nuanced twelve part series that unfortunately got cut down to forty pages. You can imagine, you know, he wasn't happy about that. But I also thought that was a really interesting idea because in that story, what we did was the Hill had no; they didn't believe in Batman. They thought he was just some white guy in a cape. He never came to the hill, and so they really had this sort of really uh, harsh, critical eye towards Batman. And I thought that was a really interesting story. Now it'd be, and then I, as far as I know, that DC had never done anything with the hill since. And so I said that'd be an interesting location to see. Well, what's going on with the hill twenty years later? Because if you think of, of any bad neighborhood or any rough neighborhood, over time, and Andy and I were just talking about Shoreditch <laughs> in, in London. Which is which was kind of rough, and now it's a very hot, trendy place because that's prime real estate. Mm-hmm. And so I said, you know what? That'd be interesting to apply that same thinking to the hill because minutes from downtown. Come on, what are we doing here? And so that was the whole premise of the hill. But then there was a crime element there. There were people that were kind of jostling for power, and then sticking Jason in the middle of this was interesting because that kind of took me. I kind of use an old Western approach where you have the you know, the hero guy kind of riding into this small town and there's all there's, there's some beef going on in the town that he's got to kind of settle or get caught up in and 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 work and help them kind of figure out a solution. And that was like the premise of going to the hill. And it also allowed me to introduce a bunch of different diverse characters with different perspectives, different motivations, and then throwing Jason Todd in there and seeing how he navigates it. I thought it was a really fun two-part story and it was really, really, uh, really well received. That's awesome. And you worked on Detective Comics as well, right? Yes. Way back in the two, uh, 2000, the millennium, uh, DC was doing a creative change on all of the titles, and they approached me to uh, draw Detective Comics. And I worked on that for about two years with Greg Rucka, who is a amazing writer, and he's written a ton of great stuff. Uh, and so that was a really fun time. Um, and so it's kind of trippy to kind of go back and be playing in the Batman Gotham City sandbox 20 years later. 
with the Red Hood story. Yeah, I mean, I that it's almost like a lore that's constantly being built on. You know, you don't want to step on anything because of Gotham is just like constantly growing. It seems like you know Gotham is just endless. For a funny, a funny thing with that is that I made the mistake of actually trying to establish how old Jason Todd was, mm-hmm. <laughs> and they found that way. They were like, "Wait a minute, wait, wait, wait." You thought he was this, but if it was this, then I was like, "You know what?" I, in real life, Jason is what fifty years old. Like, is he, <laughs> how old is How old is Bruce Wayne? Like, I mean, Bruce Wayne is like what an eighty-year-old character, mm-hmm. and that's like the challenge of continuity and trying to sort of keep things a certain way. Because honestly, like, how old is Bruce Wayne? I thought he would be in his forties or maybe what fifties, but even that seems kind of off. Yeah, so, still young. I was going to say, is it like Bart Simpson? Bart Simpson should be about fifty-five by now. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and, you know, and how old are these characters in real life? So that's what makes it kind of challenging to sort of keep continuity in mind when you're writing these things, you know. And I feel like a lot of people were questioning that with the future state stuff because I feel like the future state stuff with DC was kind of like shaking up a lot of the mantles and and stuff, like changing because we've had these characters that have held these mantles for 70, 80 years, like you know. Mm-hmm. Clark Kent's always been Superman. Bruce Wayne's always been Batman. So, like, let's slide some some new people into these roles, kind of type of thing. Um, and you know, I've seen some people complain about that, but I think that goes on with what you're saying about give us something new, give us something different, um, yeah, be a little bit different. You know, and that's the and that's the challenge because you know fans, you know, they want something different, but then when you give them something different, do they buy it? They motivate it. You know, they're like, oh my God, that's different. That's different. Or, and and this is, I was actually having this debate with another friend about the whole race swapping thing. I was like, okay, well, you've had characters change hands over the years. You know, like Veteran Bill stole Thor's hammer and that was a horse guy. You know, mm-hmm. you've had different people become Thor, you know, at some point. Um, and I think that, but so it's always easier for a company like Marvel or DC to change an existing character to get a couple of more sales out of it, to kind of try something different because if they came out with a completely original character, then no one would buy it. You know, it's like, well, what is that? I don't know what that is, but if you're, but if you take something that's familiar like Superman and then make him a green alien for like 20 issues, well, people say, well, all right, I know what Superman is. Let me see what this green alien Superman thing is. So I think at the same time, you have to be willing to try something different. If you're willing to buy something different, they'll give you something different. You know, mm-hmm. that's why they, they reboot TV shows because people say, all right, well, I remember the original version of that. So there is, so it's not completely brand new, you know, versus something completely new. And people might say, well, what is that? I don't know. But you know, th- then that, that comes down to marketing and how well is the position. I guess that's why they, they often tie a brand new character to an existing character don't they they so so miss marvel for example you know they've kind of gone well we've got miss marvel we've got kamala khan let's tie her to you know carol danvers we've got kate bishop let's tie her to clint barton you know riri tony stark yeah yeah yeah. Yeah, tom hall yeah tom holland tony stark i mean but then that's not even new you know think about it because back in the 80s you would have a successful tv show like different strokes and then you'd have like some older white lady show up who's like who's running a girls school and and you're like like, what's this and then that was the spinoff that was facts of life you had like george jefferson part of all in the family and that was the setup for his spinoff so old school tv this is not new 
you know, but so, but and it works because if you're kind of introducing something new with something established, then people are willing to give that something new, I guess, more of a chance to, sh- to see what that's about. And that's the, a lot of what I'm doing with this, with these Red Hood stories. Introducing that, characters. That's the entire Dick Wolf universe, you know, Law and Order, Law and Order SVU, um, yep. Chicago PD, they're all interconnected at times, they cross over. So, yeah. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, and well, I, I was just going to say the, the DMZ thing, um, that's something that was in DC that I was kind of surprised was a part of the DC universe when I found that out because DMZ is kind of like a weird. Well, it's, it's, it's not actually DMZ came out of Vertigo, which was, the, okay. The, the, yeah, Vertigo was the more adult line of comics that DC comics put out. Mm-hmm. The Vertigo existed in a separate plane. Like Sandman was part of Vertigo, but Sandman was never, he never interacted with DCU proper. Mm-hmm. Well, DMZ was part of Vertigo, so that they never uh-huh. part of that 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 universe. Although now, yeah, now they might they might kind of try to blend it, but but typically they they weren't. You know, mm-hmm. so you're never going to see like a Sandman Superman story. They were yeah. Just talking about it. Hmm, cool. Uh, I just want to pick up just a couple of things. Um, I really like what you said about the Western style. You know, somebody going into a sort of a broken down town and. Um, sort of you know fixing a couple of problems in the town or you know kicking out the baddies you know we um i I really like that idea of of bringing that into a world like you said there with with jason todd going into the hill was it called the hill yeah Yeah. i really like that idea i I, I never thought about that before as a as a a template for a story you know and and now now you've got me thinking about it actually yeah that is exactly what used to happen you know the cowboy used to roll into a, a small town and they've got a gang problem and he'd clear them out, you know, yeah, sick yeah. shooter and all of that kind of stuff. It was, yeah. Like, I think, you know, as a writer, you know, cause I've been fortunate to, I got my start in comics as an artist, <clears throat> but I always wanted to write. And I've worked with some of the most, some really talented writers, you know, Greg Rucka, Jeff Johns, Andy Diggle, um, uh, Mike Benson, uh, Adam Glass, uh, and I know I'm forgetting some people here, but, but uh, so many different writers. Oh, Nick Spencer, uh, you know. Uh, and, and so I've actually, it's almost like a, a writing course, getting their scripts and translating that, you know, as the artist and seeing how they'll lay out a story, how they'll approach a story, how, you know, they'll pace a story. And plus I'm a huge TV and film buff. So I, whenever I watch film and TV, I'm always studying how they lay something out. And so that device of the Western, uh, it was, a, that was an interesting device to use for this Red Hood story. You know, cause like you said, this is a guy coming in from out of town and the town has problems. And so he's got to kind of, he gets caught up in the town's problems and he helps him solve the problems. And then he rides out of town. Beautiful. Um, just on the, I'm going to carry on asking you questions. Um, I'll come back to another one in a minute, but, uh, the one that just come up there, the idea that I, I heard that, um, Jack Kirby and Stan Lee, what they, what they sometimes did, Stan Lee got so busy, uh, uh, so busy in the end that he wasn't, he wouldn't actually write stories. Mm-hmm. They, the artists, he would commission writers to actually, uh, sorry, artists to, to, to just fill panels. And then, th- then he'd write the story to the panel. And I find that, I find that really interesting because what the, the writers, the, the artists were basically writing the story visually. And then he was just putting words in in the you know in the uh to, to the to the pictures that they're drawn um i found that does that still happen 
Well, yeah. I mean, it, that happens sometimes. I, I've, I've heard various stories about how much Stan wrote it it's on certain projects. I, over the course of my career, I've always gotten full scripts from the artists, from the writers. Um, some writers, and, and I've heard horror stories by, by from uh, fellow artists about writers that just overwrite. And that's one of the things, that's one of the advantages that I have being a artist who is now writing, because I think I have a very good understanding of pacing. And I also understand that in a comic book form, comic books are visual. The story is telling at least 60% of the information for you. So you don't have to write as much. If you get a writer coming from television or from novels, they're going to overwrite because that's what they, they, it's just all about the words. And they have the room to, to, to do a whole Aaron Sorkin monologue. In comics, you really don't. You know, and so if you understand that you don't have to write as much, the visuals are going to be telling so much of the information that it allows you to be more nuanced. You can cut. And I think that for me, one of the interesting parts of the writing process is cutting. Like I'll lay out whole, like whole scenes and then just chop them down, chop them down to what I need to say. What needs to be said here? Is this communicated in the art? And, and will the audience pick it up? Because people aren't stupid. Like, you know, the readers are very savvy. They've been reading comics you know, all their lives. So they can almost sort of see where you're going. So yeah. if you kind of suggest something, the brain will fill it in, which is also, yeah. which traced to my style because I like more impressionist artists, artists that don't draw every single nut and bolt. Uh, listen, I love Jeff Darrow. Jeff Darrow is an amazing artist. He draws every single thing in a frame. But I like artists that are more subtle, like Alex Toth. Alex Toth had a great saying, which is always draw what you have to. Yeah. And what I find is that, you know, almost like an impressionist painting, impressionists wouldn't draw every single eyelash, but they kind of give you like a suggestion. Mm. And I think it forces your brain to fill in the gaps. And if you apply that to writing, you know, that if I say something, I don't have to spell out, hey, I'm going to the store to buy some food. <laughs> if you that's, say, that's what a lot of old comics used to do, though, isn't it? They <laughs> used to do that. They used to literally <laughs> explain, here's Iron Man with his repulsors and they blast yep. and, and you're like, oh, yeah. come on. It, it all, it all, it, it old television shows, old movies were written that way. And then over the years, the dialogue has gotten a lot more sophisticated where sometimes there's shows that you're literally jumping into a conversation in progress and they're not slowing down to get you up to speed. You have to really sit and focus to catch what they're saying. And I think that sometimes that can be a little challenging. Like if you take a show like Endor, you know, you have to really pay attention to what there's, what's being said because they're speaking in nuance. And they're also speaking, you know, sometimes with layered speech. So there's, they're saying one thing, but doing another. And I think that actually it, it requires more attention from the reader or the viewer, but I think it, it gives a more satisfying experience when you're consuming it. And that's what I try to do as a writer. So going back to your original point about, you know, Stan Lee, maybe just blocking out a scene and then Jack Kirby would draw it and then Stan would look at the art and say, okay. I'm going to fill in the gaps of what I need to. That happens sometimes. But for me, I've been always fortunate to have writers that write a full scene. And, uh, and like, I think the artist, the writer that I've worked the longest with consistently is Andy Diggle. And Andy Diggle has written Green Arrow and The Losers and so many, you know, 007. He's written a lot of great stuff. And I think one of the things I really loved about Andy's writing is that he was so sparse. You know, he, he only, he wrote, he wrote what he needed to write. And, but he also trusted me as the artist that I could visualize the story. So he didn't have to give me a whole lot of stage direction. He could just say, car speeding down the road. I know that I would kind of apply that. You know, I would make that, I, I would make it look interesting. Yeah. yeah. Why say, why say a hundred words when 10 will do? Yes. Yep. 
um, from the, the chat comments here, one of my favorite single issue comics is Immortal Hulk King in Black Tie-In. There's no words. The pictures tell the story. Oh, I've, I haven't seen that, but that makes me think about a classic comic book, which is the G.I. Joe Silent Snake Eyes issue. Mm-hmm. It's called Silent Interlude, and that was written by Larry Hama, and there were no words throughout the whole thing. Mm-hmm. They, one of the greatest issues ever done. Um, it, and that actually, actually, I actually paid homage to that in the first part of my two-part Red Hood story, where there's a scene where Jason Todd is sitting on his rooftop, and there's just no dialogue. It's just, it, he, he's overlooking like a crowded, a busy street. All you hear are the honking of the, of the car, car horns. Yeah, I... I I'll tell you, there's, is it Avengers 49? It's in the Kang Dynasty at some point, and uh, it's, it's, it's when um, Wasp signs, basically signs over um, America to Kang. Or, uh, but that's a silent issue. It's fantastic. Mm. Uh, he's absolutely brilliant. And I'll I tell you what I can, the only thing that I can relate it to is if I whispered like this, you'd have to, <laughs> you'd have to really listen. So when you take the words out of something, you have to really look and you have to, you read that story through the pictures, don't you? Mm -hmm. And that really tells. And then all of a sudden, that's when an artist is making their money when they can sell a story. Uh, Wally, Wally, there's like no words in Wally for about 35 minutes. And it is absolutely glorious. That's brilliant. The first half an hour of that movie is some of the best cinema I've ever seen in my life. And there's no words. There's like one word. She says Wally and he says E. That's it. It's and, brilliant. And you know what? You didn't, you weren't expecting that. It was something completely different that you weren't expecting. And you're like, wow, okay. You know, yeah. that just yeah. makes so much better. Yeah, definitely. No, and and that, that's, that, that's in that whole Kang run, that Kang Dynasty run. You're reading the story, you know, it, it, you still read. And all of a sudden you're like, where's the words gone? And then you're like, oh, hold on. I get it. And then you're reading it and you're like, what looking at it and you go, yeah, yeah, I can see what's happening. You really, you, you feel it, you know? Yeah. Um, one last thing that I was going to bring up, and this is, this is still in my notes, was, you, you know, Alex, you brought up about, um, did, did you say there was a, a, an issue where write in and tell them what happens to Jake? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Has anybody seen Bandersnatch on Netflix? I've seen, I think I've seen parts of that. That was Part like the, it. was that the, the shows they changed it? Yeah, uh, I heard about. It. I, I didn't. Black Mirror. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. By, yeah. It's by Charlie Brooker. Yeah, who done Black Mirror. Yeah, it's, it was supposed to be one Black Mirror episode, but it was just too long. But I've watched it. Well, I've only watched it once, but I've finished it three times because you can. I think there's like seven different endings. But oh, yeah, wow. you choose you choose your own endings, and you do it all through the, the remote control. So you do it all through your control, and you you have a conversation with the main character at one point, and you're like, "What's going on? This is insane!" But it's it's really really clever. It's like an adventure. Basically, he's writing a, a computer game in the eighties about uh, uh, based on an adventure book where you choose your own ending. And, uh, yeah, the the whole movie is is that, but it, very clever, very clever. I, I I I enjoyed it, but it was frustrating at the same time. I will re-add that. To, I will add that to my to my list because I was like, oh, I think I totally forgot about it until you reminded me of it. I was like, yeah, that was one of those I wanted to check out. But then there's just an avalanche of new content coming out like every five seconds. So <laughs> it's hard to keep up. Is <laughs> <laughs> is um, Alex Sharon, Have you got any more questions for for Sean? No, uh, no more questions. But uh, Sean's got some recent things out here. So a month. Oh, go ahead. You want to say something, Sean? Oh, wait, wait. Do we answer all the chat? Are, we, are there any chat questions that haven't been answered? No, no ch- more chat questions. They're kind of quiet today, which is unusual. Yeah, uh, that, I think everyone's just listening. <laughs> um, but yeah, so Sean has recent things come out. He, he did the art for um, 
Black Panther Wakanda Atlas, which has been out for what a month now. Yep. Um, and then you also have your show from Brother Man to to Batman. Go, you want to go ahead and talk about that? Yeah. Okay. So, um, starting with what you just referenced was the um, Black Panther Wakanda Atlas, which is really cool from DK Publishing. They dropped it's a nice big size book, which kind of takes you inside the world of Wakanda. I did three pieces of concept art for it, which are really awesome. I did like the um, marketplace. I designed the uh, Wakanda embassy and I visualized the vibranium mines, which is really cool with amazing colors by my um, uh, buddy, Adriano Lucas. That's really awesome. And then the show that you just mentioned, it's called from the artist experience from brother man to Batman. This is in New York city. So if anybody's in New York city, uh, there's one week left of this. It started, it opened in June and it's an ex exhibition featuring black comic artists ranging from the independent to the mainstream, hence the title from brother man, which was one of the, you know, a huge, hugely popular independent comic book called brother man to Batman, which is, you know, huge. Uh, and we feature a, a really great group of artists for this, um, opening exhibit. And not only do you see their artwork, but we also interviewed each one of them and asked them about their creative process. So we asked them, Hey, how do you start your day? What time do you go to bed? Uh, how do you get over creative blocks? You know, what do you do for inspiration? And it, it's really a great window into each one of these different artists, uh, in, in terms of their creative process. So we have a Fua Richardson, Kari Randolph, Sanford Green, John Jennings, Daryl Banks, Jamal Eigel, uh, Ron Wimberly, um, Larry Stroman, um, Micheline Hess, and so many more. There, there, there are many more, but it's a really great exhibit that I'm really proud of that I co-curated. Co with Caramel Horn, aka the Blurred Girl, and she also has a book called the um, what is it? It's, it's on the Dora Malaji. It's like yeah. explaining. Yes, it's a great book. So pick that up. And then I, I know um, when we met and we were talking, you were talking about possibly having that show possibly come to another city and anything like that. And that's still in the works, or? Well, we're actually going to do a, a part two uh, at the Society of Illustrators. We've already started talking about doing that. But yes, it would be great to sort of take the show around so if there are any other if there are any museums or galleries that would be interested in this please feel free to reach out because it would, i think it's an amazing group of artists that we're looking to you know just let everybody know about us you know every chat i i really like um the way that it wasn't just simply about the art but it was about their process as well and it was like a look inside it was almost like a day in the life of an artist uh, oh, yeah, you sort of getting to know the artist a little bit more, like you say, about their creative process and what they do when they they reach a barrier. You know, the the type of things that they can that they can uh, challenge themselves with just to just to get over that next. Problem. I get questions like that all the time. People say, "Hey, like you know, what, what, how late do you work? When do you work? How do you do? You exercise? Do you how do you what time do you start your day? What time do you end your? How late do you work? Uh, how do you get over creative blocks? What do you do for inspiration?" And so I thought that. Since I get those questions all the time as an artist, it'd be amazing to sort of interview all of these artists. And I know a lot of them as friends, but it was also interesting to hear their creative processes and what they do. And, and I thought it was fascinating just me learning this uh, as the curator. So I think people really were responding to that. Yeah. And you're only going to inspire a new generation of, of, of artists as well doing that because you're going to help them, aren't you? Yeah, totally. And that's so representation. When you see someone else doing what it is that you want to do or being or or in a position that you want to get in it just when you see yourself in them you say hey i can do this too 
you know what? You can tell you've done a TED talk because you've just wrapped that up. Beautiful. I love the way you brought that back round. That was fantastic. But, uh, but also, but you know what? One last thing I have to plug. Yeah, go, go for it. I'm very, 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 very proud of this. It's our new children's. It's a new children's book series that I did called Judge Kim. Uh, this is all about. It's uh, illustrated. Uh, it was created by three buddies: Milo Stone, Joe Illage, and Christopher Jordan, who did all the artwork. And it's an amazing story about a um, little girl who uh, her mom's a judge, and there's some beef in the neighborhood. And she says to the kids, "Well, whoa, 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 don't fight, don't fight, don't fight. Let's kind of settle this. Let's let's go to my treehouse, and I'll be the judge, and present your cases to me, and I'll figure out the I'll figure out what the how to solve the problem. And so, it, so this just came out from Simon and Schuster. We're really, really proud of it. So, you know, it's definitely like a great book to teach kids and their families about the law and how to solve problems in a calm, empathetic way. Brilliant, awesome." I think we'd all be better off reading a lot more. Children. Yeah. <laughs> so, so many of them do that. And I, I've never noticed it before until you read them as an adult, until you're not reading them to a kid anymore. And you're like, hold on a minute. Yeah. These are really good messages. <laughs> so uh, fantastic. That's brilliant work. Um, um, a couple of chats here or comments from the chat real quick. So, you know, about the, the like a chat today, someone goes, awesome. Yesterday, I'm listening intently. Another one says, uh, same, it, it's so good. So we've enjoyed having you on, Sean. Anytime you want to come back, you're always welcome. Um, so anything you want to chat with us, we're always willing to have a nice conversation and, and chat about whatever. So Awesome, guys. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, thanks, everybody, for sticking around and listening. And, um, you know, be safe and be creative. And look, look, look to be, look, keep that open mind and, you know, look to be surprised. You know, love that. Brilliant. Thank you very much, Sean. Uh, it's been a pleasure. Take care. All right. All right. Thank you. All right. Why don't you tell them about the time we faced? All right. Well, as I remember, at Avenger headquarters.